Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Later in the program, Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners with a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his mind. But first, over the weekend, as many of you know, we attended the Halifax International Security Forum in Nova Scotia, Canada, a jewel of a conference that brings together political, diplomatic, national security, and civil society leaders from around the world to tackle the hard questions that democracies have to face if they're to survive, much less thrive. As the man responsible for this extraordinary conference, Peter Van Praag said in his closing remarks, democracies have to get it right because there is no alternative. Joining us to discuss their takeaways from an action-packed three days uh, in uh, Nova Scotia's capital are Dr. Evelyn Farkas, uh, the executive director of the McCain Institute, uh, who also served as the Pentagon's Russia and Ukraine chief uh, during the Obama administration, and former Pentagon controller Dr. Dov Zakheim, who counts the Center for Strategic and International Studies among his many affiliations. It was so terrific seeing you both. Uh, Evelyn, uh, welcome back to the program after a, a, a brief hiatus, after given the, the busy nature of your new job. And Dov, thank you very much. It was great seeing you uh, in person, even though you join us uh, every week. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Vago. Yeah, thanks. Before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, ultra intelligence and communications sponsors our command and control coverage. Our coverage of the Association of the United States Army's uh, annual meeting was sponsored by Leonardo DRS and Safran. And our coverage of one of the world's truly great democracy, security, and civil society conferences. The Halifax International Security Forum is sponsored by Leonardo DRS and General Atomics Aeronautical Systems. It was another great conference. Uh, many, many powerful moments uh, at the, during those uh, three days. And it's an extraordinary conference because we covered everything from you know, mig uh, migration driven by climate change and the implications uh, there, disinformation, misinformation, and, and technology, very, very moving uh, discussions uh, on Iran, uh, highlighting in all of these uh, panels really the extraordinary role that women are playing and indeed uh, the uh, McCain Prize uh, for leadership that Halifax awards annually um, in the memory of uh, the late great Senator John McCain. Uh, and Evelyn, I know you're gonna tackle this one to the women of, of Ukraine. Uh, but I have to say, I mean, one of the highlights were uh, the comments that were made by uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin that ranks as one of the best speeches that I've certainly heard in sort of marshalling the world and what the stakes are in Ukraine and why it's important to keep uh, keep going and to keep helping. Evelyn, you know, you've uh, devoted your life uh, to this. You come from a Hungarian background, uh, you know, having felt the sting uh, of, of Russia and the, the Soviet Union. What did you pick up from all of these uh, statements, right? We heard from Volodymyr Zelensky, Pyotr Poroshenko. The Ukrainian uh, side was well represented at the conference in person uh, as as well with one of the senior most folks in government. Olga was there as well. Give us give us your yes. sense on what the standout moments were. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think most participants were really taken by the speech that Secretary Austin gave. 
Um, it was very clear in its language. It was, um, you know, a rallying cry to continue to do what we are doing to help Ukraine. And he gave it in a, in a very impassioned fashion, which I think people also um, really uh, felt and appreciated. Um, many of the participants hadn't had an, an opportunity to hear him in person. So that was clearly, um, uh, you know, a good um, moment also for our country, you know, as our senior representative there. He did us proud. Um, in addition, I would say, as you said, the mood was generally very supportive towards Ukraine. Of course, the organizers, Peter von Prague and the Halifax Forum folks set it up that way. Um, it, was, it was intended to focus on Ukraine and on democracy. But um, what I found most interesting was not only were we talking about the women fighters of Ukraine to whom, as you rightfully pointed out, Jack McCain gave the McCain Award um, and and uh, the, the first lady of Ukraine accepted via video on behalf of all of the women of Ukraine, the fighters, the civilians, um, everyone, including herself, who are fighting for Ukraine. But what was interesting to me was the other women. Um, there there were women from Iran who insisted, Iranian, Canadian, and Iranian American women and Iranians writ large, who were insisting that um, what's happening in Iran right now is a revolution and we should take it seriously. Um, that was striking to me. Um, and then one other thing I'll, I'll point out, and I can elaborate on all of these. Um, I went to a dinner that was focused on Syria. The Syrians at the dinner table were very um, emphatic that we must help Ukraine defeat Russia. They've been sending, I did not know this, but you know there have been Syrian doctors going in there helping the Ukrainians hide their hospitals from Russian you know, artillery and and the, the Syrians are very much engaged and understand what's at stake for them in Ukraine. So um, there were a lot of lessons. It was a lot about solidarity among very many different groups when it comes to standing up against autocrats and poor democracy. And I haven't talked about China yet, so I can leave that to Dove. <laughs> exactly. And I have to say last year's conference, uh, while also focused on Ukraine, had a much more uh, China flavor to it, even though China th came up throughout these conversations, because obviously um, I, I think there was also ad admiration for the audience on how the administration has tied both of these issues together, that we have to stand up for Ukraine against Russia if we have any chance of deterring China from miscalculating over Taiwan. Uh, Dove, um, you know, right. you've been to many of these events, as Evelyn has uh, as well. Well, what were some of the things that you picked up over, over the course of the three days that stood out to you? And, and you and I saw each other right after uh, Secretary Austin's speech and, and were, were, like many other people, uh, stunned. I mean, I think he got a standing ovation at the end of that speech, which I also thought was, was, was extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, I've known Lloyd, Lloyd Austin for quite some time. Uh, I've never heard him speak like this. Uh, and uh, I think Evelyn's right. Um, this, this was a speech from the heart. Uh, and everybody saw that. Everybody felt it. Uh, and he almost went beyond the writ of the Secretary of Defense. I mean, he was laying out the American position, not the DOD position. Again, I think that was uh, really well understood. A couple of other takeaways that I had. First of all, the, the linkage between China and Ukraine. I mean, uh, Petro Poroshenko, the, uh, uh, the former uh, president, who, by the way, uh, demonstrated that Ukraine really is a democracy because he is now the leader of the opposition. And so when he said, we all stand together, there's no opposition right now, which in and of itself was exceedingly important to once again underscore the unity of the Ukrainians. The fact that unlike certain other autocrats, 
who use the democratic system to per perpetuate themselves in power, he is now leader of the opposition. And yes, he wants to come back to be president, but he's going to do it the right way. And that was a really important signal that I hope people picked up. The linkage to China, he again made that clear. And one of the, the, the emphases, the leitmotifs of what all the Ukrainians said was, hey, this isn't just about Ukraine. This is, about, this is a world concern. Are we on the side of democracy or are we on the side of autocracy? I mean, it, it, they really embodied what Biden has talked about in, in those terms. So I think that was terribly important. And then there was the film. Um, this is a film about essentially how the Russians have been brutalizing not just buildings and hospitals, but people. And they had this one lady who had spent 65 days in that horrible plant in, in uh, Mariupol. Mariupol, I guess it's pronounced. And she came, actually came to the conference. She had a six month old baby. And like her, so many others were stuck down there while the bombs were going off. And in the film, you see the, the photographer having to duck because the bombs are going off and you see the buildings being destroyed and you see, and, and you also see that the Russian propaganda that when they, they go into this one city and uh, uh, there are dead people all over the ground. So the Russians say, no, it's all fake. And you can see it is not fake. Um, and so that is very powerful. And I was sitting with uh, soon to be chairman of the foreign affairs committee in the house, uh, Mike McCall, and he said, I want everybody in Congress to see this. And that's really important because we're hearing murmurs coming out of part of Congress. You know, well, maybe we'll give them some money, but it isn't going to be that way again. So that was important. And finally, uh, my dinner, which was about the Middle East and Israel and the Arabs, we only had like eight or so people. The focus, and rightly so, I might add, uh, is on NATO, which had tons of people. Apparently, people showed up who weren't even supposed to be at that dinner. Uh, and, and NATO, Ukraine, Europe, and, and of course, China. Uh, and of course, the one worry about this is we always try to forget about it, the Middle East, but it never lets us forget about it. Uh, in, uh, indeed. Um, and uh, look, I mean, all of this is topical, right? I mean, for the longest time, it was the Afghanistan, the Iraq, uh, and all of those. I remember when Ehud Barak would uh, come to this, and there was a much larger Israeli delegation uh, that we would see, uh, which we haven't seen actually in some time, uh, unfortunately, and I think they should reconsider. The CODEL also, I thought, sent a very powerful uh, signal uh, and after member after member, whether on the House side, I think this was as Gene Shaheen and, and um, Rish uh, said, uh, is the biggest delegation that we've had, uh, congressional delegation uh, to the um, uh, conference, which were always led by Senator uh, McCain. Uh, Evelyn, I want to uh, bring you in. I mean, obviously, uh, Senator John McCain, uh, John Sidney McCain III uh, is, um, you know, your uh, institute is named after that for public uh, and international uh, leadership. Uh, you also led uh, one of the panel uh, discussions. Sort of give us give us your sense on on your panel and and some of the other things uh, you picked up and how Senator McCain is interwoven through the fabric of this as somebody who uh, led the Codells from the very beginning and was was you know honestly one of America's most passionate voices uh, for democracy uh, around the world. Yeah, so actually Senator McCain was one of the kind of motivators, the impetus behind the creation of the Halifax Forum. Um, he, in a conversation, I guess, with Peter McKay, 
um, at, the, at the time, the defense minister, I believe, of Canada, if I have that correct. Yeah, um, you had, do. You do. Peter, yes. Peter uh, has had an he extraordinary was career. And yeah. he was there, yeah. which was terrific. Yeah. And he and his wife, I mean, they were quite active um, on and off the podium in terms of, um, you know, moving the conversation along. And, and, um, and, and Senator McCain understood really clearly that in order to protect democracy in North America, so in America and Canada, we need to remain engaged overseas. I think his, the, the idea for the Halifax Forum was to have something on our continent similar to the Munich Security Conference where we could talk about the world and talk about how we should remain engaged. And what I loved about this conference was that it, it felt very McCain-esque in that there was a lot of highlighting of individuals who were making a difference. And Senator McCain really understood the power of the individual to elevate issues, to keep them alive, to fight for them. And then our responsibility to fight for those individuals. Vladimir Karamursa was recognized also at the conference. He was a pallbearer and many people know he's a uh, very high visibility um, Russian political dissident, um, opposition figure in Russia who's been wrongfully imprisoned. Um, and so, the, you know, I felt I felt very much the mood and the spirit of Senator McCain at the conference. Of course, his son was present as well, um, and the award was presented in his name. Um, what I what I also really liked, as you said, was there was this large congressional delegation. It was bipartisan. We had um, Senator Shaheen and Senator Risch, um, senior senators on the well. Senator Risch is the ranking member on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee um, at the podium together. Uh, clearly enjoying their um, their professional and you know personal relationship. We had um, a panel that I moderated, which was um, not bipartisan in the sense that it was Senator Risch, senior Republican from, as I said, Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and then Representative McCall, who is probably now the senior Republican policymaker in America because he's he will be in the majority. Um, on the House side, running the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and the two gentlemen were very much um, in their in their comments and their remarks. And again, as I said, there wasn't a Democrat except for the moderator, who's myself, who was a, uh, nominally a Democrat, although I now work for a nonpartisan institute. And the right. two gentlemen were very much in agreement on uh, overall objectives. You know, there were some nuances and answers they gave to questions, for example, on Afghanistan, where clearly there's still residual. Um, you know, disagreement with the Biden administration, but overall, very all of their comments about China, about supply chain, about um, you know, obviously Russia, Ukraine, were very much in line with the administration's objectives. So that does point us towards perhaps a better foreign policy future, um, you know, coming out of the United States than you would imagine just looking at statements from people who have recently won the congressional seats who represent the more Trumpy faction of the Republican Party. I just want to make two notes. Uh, Jack McCain is a remarkably decent uh, man uh, and I think uh, is going to do a great job carrying his dad's legacy uh, forward as well. Cindy McCain couldn't join us, but it was great to see uh, uh, their son uh, come out and and take a prominent uh, role. And I thought his, his speech was um you know, candid, moving, and genuine. Uh, yeah. And so that was lovely. And I have to also give a shout out to Admiral Rob Bauer, uh, the chairman of NATO's military committee, because, you know, this conference is also great for putting a baseball bat between the eyes. And anybody who knows uh, the uh, uh, Dutch admiral knows that he does, he's not exactly a shrinking violet. 
And I think his not just call to action and saying, hey, we're actually getting together in NATO in a way that we never have and we're getting it right. But everybody needs to remember we're giving weapons in vast quantities from stocks that were not entirely full. So he said, you know, there's this sense that, wow, you know, it's coming out of full stocks. He was like, we're at half stocks as we're doing this. So we've got to get that. We've got to collect, you know, bring the political will together because it's imperative to help Ukraine. The only way we can do that is, is by really stepping it up uh, on our side, uh, on the munitions side, where we have underinvested uh, for decades. And that came out in uh, panel after panel. We've got a little yeah, bit I of could, time. If left. I could just make a quick note, yeah, and then Dove sure. is more expert on this than I am. That was another, that was something that came out of the conference as an item for that people haven't focused on perhaps enough and needs future action, which is um, our manufacturing process how and our procurement process and how, how long and tedious it is. And we need to be on a wartime footing. Uh, it, it, exactly, right. And it was like, you know, we can do this. We just have to have the will to do it. Uh, and so I commend the audience, right? If you guys can tune in to pieces of this conference, uh, it is, you know, it's got a great narrative arc to it, but but as well, some very, very powerful moments that make you make you think. We've got a couple of more minutes left. Go ahead, Dove, bring us over the finish line on any last talks you have. Sure. First of all, uh, it wasn't just uh, at Evelyn's panel that you saw a degree of uh, bipartisanship, even though, as, as Evelyn just said, there were two Republicans on it. But I, as I said, I watched this movie with McCall, but he was sitting next to uh, Chris Coons, Democrat, and it was clear that they get along pretty well. And it just seems to me that when it's going to come to national security policy, whatever the other issues are, I think you're going to see a lot more coherence. Forget the fireworks, but in practical terms, you're going to see a lot more coherence than I think uh, people might have expected. Uh, I would also point out this was Lloyd Austin's first visit to Canada. And so he made one heck of an impression. And there were a bunch of defense ministers there. Uh, and we shouldn't minimize that uh, for two reasons. One, because it shows the importance of the conference and what Peter's been able to put together. For instance, Paul Janssen, who just became defense minister of Sweden uh, weeks ago, uh, right. came out together with, by the way, his uh, his chart, his, his, uh, commander, his commander in chief. They were both there. Um, but the other thing is that Peter has been very diligent about not inviting in fact, rejecting requests from defense ministers from countries that are authoritarian. And it underscores the democratic uh, flavor of, of this conference year after year after year. And I, I consider that extremely important. Another thing, of course, was thanks to Zoom or, or WebEx or whatever they had going, there was actually interaction with the speakers from Ukraine. So it wasn't just some kind of, you know, tape recorded thing. I mean, this was live and it was very, very powerful. And so uh, my takeaway, and, and yes, Evelyn's absolutely right in terms of readiness. Um, we've always had a problem with having sufficient supplies. And there are some of our allies. Uh, I, I was just in one allied country and they were basically telling me they were virtually out of stocks. And so we have to think long and hard about how we're not going to be able to spend a trillion dollars every year. It's just not going to happen on defense. How we reallocate this money more efficiently to keep the industrial base going so that when we need javelins, we get javelins. Uh, exactly. Uh, I, I would, uh, would whole, wholeheartedly uh, support that. Uh, and John Speller, actually the former armed services minister and member of parliament in the UK and, and really one of the most thoughtful uh, security minds on the planet, 
many, many years ago when we were tailing down and, you know, we're going to be doing a peace dividend. It was interesting that even all the way back then, he was like saying, you know, I think we should trickle produce, right? I mean, keep these lines going because keeping them alive will be much cheaper than restarting them later in, yeah. in some fashion and, and having some strategy to it. And I think, you know, very wise words uh, then. And unfortunately, we didn't do it. And here we are. Uh, and he and I had a great conversation when we were in, in London together. I just want to very quickly um, get your guys' sense on this. You know, in Washington, there are a lot of people who are constantly chewing Lloyd Austin's uh, butt. You know, he doesn't talk enough. Uh, he's too quiet. Um, you know, he's not focused on, on sort of the big issues, right? I mean, there's this sense that, you know, some of this contrived storylines that somehow he's not about war fighting. I don't know how on earth you could think that, given the man's extraordinary uh, history. Um, the number of chads, the number of defense ministers, the number of foreign people who expressed nothing but glowing admiration for the leadership that Lloyd Austin has shown in the alliance, in all of these issues. And actually, you know, that extends up to the White House, the administration, and even to members of Congress. But I thought that the, you know, Austin, the number of chads who were saying, man, that guy's a rock star, and we wouldn't be where we are now if it wasn't for him backed by the president, backed by the Congress, and where we are. I mean, just real quick, Evelyn and, and, and uh, Dove, you know, whether or not you, you, noticed, you noticed something that most people actually either don't see, take for granted, or, or just completely miss. Yeah, I think that people there, many people who hadn't been exposed to him again, and there were a wide range, not just defense types, but uh, you know, as we mentioned, human rights um, activists were really taken by how genuine he was in terms of his um, understanding and commitment to to the you know supporting Ukraine's objectives, supporting our objectives in Ukraine. So I think uh, people just he either wasn't known to them, or maybe maybe some people underestimated him. I don't know. He clearly has been doing a phenomenal job getting all of our allies and partners on the same page in terms of military support. Well, they you know a lot of these folks, certainly the chads and the ministers, uh, at least the, the the ones who've been around for a while, have dealt with him. But they all reiterated what you just said, Vago, and they reiterated it not just on the stage, which they did, but in private. I mean, everybody and of course, not just defense related folks, but everybody was absolutely stunned. It's the best word, not just by the fact that it's Lloyd Austin who's speaking, but by how he spoke, what he said and frankly, what he committed to. Because there is a big issue right now as to how far we should go with this. It's a debated being debate here in Washington, debate amongst the allies. Poroshenko and all the Ukrainians made it clear they're not ready to stop. They're not going to stop till they win. But for everybody else, there's a debate. And what Austin said was, as far as he's concerned, he's not getting into the politics, he never got into the politics. But he said, we are with these folks. And it was crystal clear that this was coming not just from Warren Bass, which it was. Warren Bass wrote a terrific speech, but it was coming from Lloyd Austin. My point also was that all of these uh, senior leaders who've been interacting with him over the past year um, have gained a deep admiration and respect for you know, the discipline he's brought to the process. The, you know, so I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing. Again, in Washington, the number one sport is chewing everybody's butt. And the other thing is, 
that people have been trying to play this game of, oh, well, you know, Millie is not on the same page and Sullivan's on a different page. And one of the things that also came across was, look, it's a very smart administration, actually. You know, Millie is sort of the designated, hey, Russians, if you want to talk, there's some, you know, in this hard line that we're presenting, which, again, unequivocal on Lloyd Austin's part, right, about not pushing Ukrainians to negotiate when they don't want to and the like. I thought it was just a very interesting, um, you know, how people perceived that and the role that Millie is playing as part of a strategy to always signal to the Russians, hey, if, if you want to talk to somebody, there's somebody who's willing to talk to you to negotiate, as opposed to, you know, um, uh, maybe, you know, strains in the administration that might not be as sharp. You know what I mean? That might not be as prominent as people think they are, because it seems well, like well, everybody's Rondo, pretty much Rondo, on the same page. This one's a very sticky wicket for the administration, if I could use a cricket term. And the reason I say that is because the, the administration is perceived, and quite rightly, in my personal view, of having gone beyond, behind uh, Ashraf Ghani's back, it's much more difficult for them to do anything unless the Ukrainians and Zelensky, President Zelensky, are comfortable with what they're doing. Now, I don't know the ins and outs. I'm not in the government, but that is just a factor that has to be considered. And so when all the Ukrainians say we're not stopping and at the same time you've got, uh, you know, General Milley saying what he's saying, it does leave some people confused. But there we are. Uh, guys, thanks so very much. I would also tell the audience, uh, go online, check out the videos, uh, the uh, lead in videos to each of the panels, which are just extraordinarily thought provoking little pieces in and of themselves that are extraordinarily well done. Uh, very powerful and tend to set the mood for each of these uh, conversations in in, a, in an extraordinarily unique way. Evelyn, thank you very much. Dove, thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure uh, seeing you guys and for the audience again. We're going to be uh, continuing our coverage of Halifax. We had some interesting conversations up there, but over the course of the coming year, you're going to see uh, a lot of those voices join us uh, to update us because some were remarkably thought-provoking, and we just want to make sure that uh, for those who, who couldn't and were not honored and not able to attend the conference to be able to hear some of their views. Guys, thanks so very much again. Really appreciate it. Have a terrific Thanksgiving uh, between uh, now and when next we talk. Thank you so much, Vago. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Vago. Don't eat too much turkey. Thanks very much. I'm in Washington, Dove. We're all eating turkey. <laughs> thanks again. <laughs> and joining us now is my good friend, Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm, Capital Alpha Partners, for a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his mind. Byron, thanks so very much for joining us. Good and happy Thanksgiving, Margo. Uh, happy uh, Thanksgiving, coming Thanksgiving uh, to you and the entire uh, Callan clan. Um, you wrote a great note uh, about uh, sort of looking at defense waddling through, I think, as you said, right? Defense paddles through uh, the lame duck and waddles through 2023 20, uh, 20 and 2024. Uh, it's a very short week. We're going to suspend uh, on, on uh, Wednesday. We're going to have a nice Halifax show and a nice roundup, one of a series of programs we're going to have following up on this great uh, show, but we're going to give everybody a break until the business roundtable on uh, Sunday. Sort of walk us through the thesis, uh, right? And the probabilities, you're a good odds keeper uh, on where we end up with the omnibus and everything else. You know, Michael Herson joined us on Friday on some of these themes. What's on your mind? Well, I'm fairly optimistic that we'll, we'll get appropriations and national defense authorization act done before the end of the year. <clears throat> and that was really the paddle through part 
uh, for defense in the lame duck session. You know, I think we're, we're at that point, and you know, Michael called out some of these issues in your in your Friday program. There's always drama. I mean, there's always going to be something that you know looks like an episode from the Perils of Pauline. Uh, you know, the budget's tied up on the uh, on the train tracks and the locomotives coming, and yet somehow, you know, um, it, it's never creamed. Or, uh, the, budget. the budget is tied to the tracks. Yeah, the... The budget, yeah. <laughs> well, you get my imagery. Um, I got it. The, the the that somehow you know the budget will get done, and I think, and I'd say the same for the National Defense Authorization Act. I mean, my my first view on the NDAA. You know, some of the um, the issues that Minority Leader McCarthy has raised, you know, that he wants to see the NDAA um, postponed until the next session of Congress. I mean, I just think there, there are enough votes to get it done in this session of Congress. And then it's going to be an issue. Some of these issues obviously are going to weigh in on the FY24 and the FY25 National Defense Authorization Acts. But <clears throat> I think for 23, you know, my 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 betting odds are it gets done, uh, you know, probably sometime in late December. And the same, I think, is true for the FY23 appropriations omnibus bill. Yes, <clears throat> there are going to be the usual debates and disputes about things that aren't necessarily related to appropriations. But I, but I think this kind of let's just clear the bills. Um, and I also think, you know, particularly for the Senate, there's still that decorum of honoring uh, you know, people who've served in the Senate for a long time. And since this is going to be the last appropriations bill for Senator Shelby of Alabama and Senator Leahy of Vermont, who were the um, the chairman and the ranking member of the Senate Appropriations Committee, uh, you know, I, I think I think it'll get done. Um, it, it's, you know, Michael's talked about this and I absolutely agree. It's not going to get done before December 16th. We'll probably take it right down to the wire again. Um, and I still, I would agree. I, I still think, you know, you're probably going to see something at least at the level that the Senate Appropriations Committee had indicated they wanted to mark to maybe a bit more, you know, and I, and I also think the Ukraine supplemental package will be included in that. So I don't want to be, you know, too sunny optimistic, but I think, um, I think the prospects look pretty good, just kind of the dynamics of getting it done now rather than pushing it in next year. In terms of uh, bipartisanship, you know, it was interesting uh, listening to, to lawmakers who were up in Halifax and trying to uh, strike a bipartisan messages uh, we discussed uh, on the top of the show, um, and that really there are far fewer disagreements. And yet, you know, Republicans are coming in, you know, some news flow on, you know, that the that Hunter Biden's laptop is Hunter Biden's laptop and, you know, an analysis of its contents. And, um, you know, I mean, I, it does not appear that there's really as much there there as people want to make it out to be. Uh, and yet Republicans have made that a centerpiece. But there is a lot of talk about, you know, we have to launch an Afghanistan investigation. Uh, I think Peter Van Prague uh, at uh, Halifax, you know, in the beginning said, you know, a lot of mistakes were made by a lot of people and it was without malice, uh, much of it, right? We ended up where we ended up for a lot of not very good reasons, but we ended up, you know, it was a collective failure. It wasn't an individual failure. Um, and, you know, you have folks who are uh, on the Republican side saying, hey, you know, we've got to do an audit of all this aid that's that's going to the Ukrainians, right? I mean, what, what do all of these elements to you tell us about what it is we should be expecting in the coming 
So yeah, Vago, I think there's going to be a lot of drama around um, the, the investigations that the House is going to try and launch under GOP leadership. You know, what ultimately results from all this? I doubt there's much of anything. I kind of agree on Afghanistan. Uh, the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction released a report last week uh, that's worth a read. It's it's why Afghanistan fell. And I think there's some really good background <clears throat> on, on, you know, the specifics um, including the U.S. Withdrawal, withdrawal, which I don't think anybody would hold as a, a shining example of how to do something. But this is a problem long term in the making. And there, there's, you know, there's uh, blame to share on all sides. Um, I think, though, you know, if I look at Congress and, you know, this is one of the things I did in my Sunday note, there, there has been bipartisan support for higher defense spending. Um, Yes, you know, you've seen some of these amendments, you know, let's cut defense by $100 billion that have been proposed by Democrats, hasn't really gone anywhere. Right. You know, and some of those votes have been, I think, more messaging than anything else. And I'd say the same thing for the Freedom Caucus in, in the House, you know, so there are 40 members, maybe 45 members, um, you know, they don't call the shots here. And, and I just think that as much as they um, will push back against federal spending and, and you know, taxes of any shape or form, uh, I, I think the majority, <clears throat> both the House and the Senate, are still generally supportive of higher defense spending. We can argue about the the slope of that curve, but I think there's still <clears throat> there's still room to grow the defense budget. And the other thing that you know is probably going to get teed up by the House Republican leadership in, in, uh, in 2023, 2024, you know, is a more aggressive stand against China. And it, it's kind of hard to take a more aggressive stance on China without actually getting things done in the defense budget. So I think that's something else that's going to um, help help uh, help defense fly. Maybe it maybe it'll waddle. It looks like it's going to waddle, but I think I think ultimately you see these bills get done. Um, probably, you know, with the same sort of drama we've seen and, and that the the industry and, and the Department of Defense, I think, have become accustomed right. to, uh, which is unfortunate, but that's kind of the way this place works. Um, and uh, really quick, uh, as you know, it is a short week, so actually on your list of things to pay attention to, uh, two of them are on Thanksgiving Day. So if people are bored, they can tune in, <laughs> they can tune in and watch. Uh, uh, but you know, fortunately, all of these things can be seen on replay uh, as well. Give us a quick rundown on what it is you're going to be paying attention yeah. to, because um, Seth Moulton is going to be at one of them, and right. he's uh, an interesting thinker. Yeah. Uh, Hudson Institute is featuring Seth Moulton to talk about commercial innovation and military advantage. That's on November 22nd. And the, the events that you mentioned on Thanksgiving Day uh, are actually taking place in Europe. Um, Rusi is holding an event uh, that's really about kleptocracy. But I think just getting to this broader sense of <clears throat> Russia, you know, just uh, the kleptocracies that are out there and, and this feeds back into economic warfare and sanctions policy. Um, and then and then Chatham House is holding an event on uh, Germany's security strategy and another on the future of global trade. So they're, they're more, the German issue is more germane to defense, but uh, the other issues I think are kind of shaping factors and how people want to think through um, the, the environment in which defense operates. Byron, thanks very much. Uh, as you started it, we'll finish it. Hope uh, you and the entire Callan family have a great uh, Thanksgiving. 
thanks very much for being such a good friend and supporting us and look forward to having you on again next week. Thanks so much. Good. Same to you and your family and all your listeners, Vago.